everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Hi, Jen Hatmaker here. I am your delighted hostess of the For the Love podcast and couldn't be happier that you're here today. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. What a world right now, right? What a world. What is actually going on right now? Everything. I want you to know that my whole team is thinking about you constantly, like pretty much around the clock. We are just literally thinking constantly, how can we serve the community? What can we do right now? How can we bring joy? How can we bring encouragement? How can we bring hope? What can we do? What do the people need? Like we are just thinking about you constantly. So I did want to tell you, I do have something right this minute for you, like right this very minute, because we just need some awesome bonus content in our lives right now. And weirdly, we kind of have some time for it. So I want you to know that we have rolled out a ton of pre-order goodies for my new book that's coming out. It's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. You've definitely heard me talk about it. Okay, so here's what that means. Anybody who has pre-ordered the book from any vendor in any format, audio, digital, whatever you want, from anywhere. And that includes everybody in the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, of course, because it is their April selection they get it three weeks before it releases. Anybody who pre-orders receives the introduction and two of my favorite chapters to download immediately. An audio chapter, guys, we like poured our hearts and souls into the audiobook. So I'm excited for you to hear that. A one-hour coaching video that I delivered at the Rise Conference, plus the audio of the coaching session, and an exclusive webcast on April 30th with me and some very, very, very special guests. So we just got so much fierce goodness for you to go and grab. You get all that today. The webcast comes out on April 30th, but everything else you download right this very minute. So trust me, these are tools that will help you literally dig deep and get through these weird times. I have written the book of my heart and the book of my whole life, and you're going to get some pieces of it. So so pre-order your book. Um, or go grab your order number if you already have from wherever you got it. And then go get your free stuff right now at fierceandfreebook.com. Okay. So that's it. It's so easy. It'll take three minutes. Just get your pre-order information, your confirmation number from wherever, whatever vendor, and then pop over to fierceandfreebook.com, plug it all in and boom, just like that. All your downloads pop right up. Okay, on to today's episode, we are wrapping up our series of live conversations that I had on the road last fall with some of the loveliest people I know during our very first For the Love Live podcast tour, right? I've said this many, many times about our next guest, but she is undeniably one of my favorite leaders and teachers on the planet, and she has been a really good friend to me. Really, really good. And if you're new to her, You'll see why I'm saying all this. So today, we have the privilege of sitting down with leadership trainer, international speaker, and author, Joe Saxton. Y'all, I love Joe. 
She was actually one of the first guests in one of my very favorite series we did called For the Love of Women Who Built It, because Joe is a force, you guys. You're about to see. And the work she's doing in the world is absolutely invaluable because she helps women every single day learn how to become better leaders in every facet of their lives. That's her niche. She teaches us how to go after our dreams with absolutely no apologies, and she's so good at it. If there is anything you're wrestling with right now in your life, if you're looking for some dials to turn, I'm telling you, Joe is going to speak right to your heart today. I love her, and you're going to love her too. So please enjoy this wonderful conversation with the brilliant and the beautiful Joe Saxton. Before I bring her out... I would love to introduce you to our special guest for tonight. I'm delighted about this. I'm so happy she said yes because she is a wonderful and a busy woman. And so I said, what if I come all the way to your town? Then will you do it? In fact, I've already interviewed her once on the show. She was a guest on our For the Love of Women Who Built It series because she has built an amazing space of leadership, which we're going to talk about. I marvel at who she is and how she moves through the world and how she spreads her love and talent and encouragement across the board. She just does so much good and interesting work. So let me tell you a bit about her. Our guest on is Joe Saxton. I know. Yes. So Joe is, she's a leadership trainer. She's an international speaker. She's an author, very passionate about seeing Jesus transform lives across the globe. Very passionate about seeing women step into their gifts of leadership. We'll talk about this, but she grew up as a child of Nigerian immigrants in the UK. Okay. And so she learned a lot very quickly about how this world can cause us to doubt our dreams and doubt who we are, doubt how we have been created. So her personal story informs a ton of her work today. She's got this great system of training leaders by empowering them to lead from the inside out, which I'll ask her about that. So you can hear more about her approach there. Joe said she feels like the world is full of business experts and how-to guides, but real leadership effectiveness starts with a solid identity, a keen sense of how to apply one's skills and a passion for progress. And of course, you know, I couldn't agree more. And so she helps women tap into all of their potential. I hope that tonight you are inspired when you hear her. I hope she throws a little fuel on whatever flame you have burning in your life and in your heart and in your mind, in your corner of the world. And so in addition to all this awesome stuff, Joe's also a pastor. She chairs the board of an international discipleship organization called 3D Movements. She's on the advisory board for today's Christian woman, and she co-hosts the Lead Stories podcast. There's nothing she cannot do. That's really what I'm trying to say to you. She is one of my dear friends, one of my most trusted voices in leadership. She is absolutely the real deal. One of her favorite things to ask the women that she works with is, are you ready? So, you guys, I hope you are ready because Joe is going to rock our world tonight. Please help me give a warm welcome to Joe Saxton. Hello. Hello. Aww. 
You're so fun. Hello, my friend. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. It's lovely. You're lovely. How, how, when is the first time that we met? I think we met about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's that's right. We were speaking at an event. You were wearing a black outfit. Oh. You had a white top. Your hair was up. I I didn't tell you, I have a semi-photographic memory. You do? Yeah, This is news to me. Yeah, I... Because people are weirded out by it from time to time. The fact that you were telling me what I was wearing. You had brown boots on. All this Um, feels on brand. Yeah, and and you had kind of long, you were doing the feathers in terms of the earrings. I wasn't there yet? You were early, early feathers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early feathers. But the um, top knot. Yes, it was the top knot, definitely. And you were very, I think we might have been the only woman in the room because we were like, gravitate oh, towards each other. Oh, mm. yes. Was it Verge? It was. And we spoke yes. on exactly the same thing. Well, you know what? Yeah. That's because we're two smart girls. There we go. A decade of friendship. Yeah. Lucky me. Lucky me. Thank you for being my good friend all oh this gosh. time. You Always. really have been. So you were on the show last spring mm-hmm. um, of 2018, which in our world, that's a lifetime ago. Yes. So can you just tell everybody briefly sort of what have you been up to this last year? What <laughs> sorts of things have you been putting your hand to and Ooh. what kind of places has it taken you? Cause you've had some, you've had some stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think after when, after we spoke on the podcast, I joined a running club. Well, that. They're here. What's they this? Are. They are mums on the run represent. They're awesome. That's your crew. Yeah. Huh? They're amazing. I was kind of, you know, like when your body goes south. Yes. Ever. Yes, I know. And I felt that the gravitational pull was running away from me. Uh-huh. So I tried to catch it up. Yes. <laughs> right. Because I still wanted to have snacks. No, I know. Because what kind of life is a life without snacks, yeah. sisters? Well, um, let me just say, yeah. we were eating dinner backstage before we came out here. And so we ordered it. We all kind of put on our little order from where we it's did. coming from. And Joe opens up hers. And it's a huge styrofoam container of just French fries. And I was like, is that your dinner? Because I respect that. Yeah. Like, it was. This is why we're it friends. It was glorious. Okay, so you joined a running club. I joined a running club, which was great for me. They're wonderful women. I was speaking around a number of places. I do a lot of speaking in faith-based places and also in corporate spaces as well. And I think around that time, I was like, I just want to talk about leadership. I just want to talk to as many people as possible about leading and how we can utilize all these incredible gifts that we keep hidden and call humility and actually use them. So it's been fun to do that. I had a wonderful opportunity to gather lots of women leaders together just to meet each other. Sometimes women in leadership can feel quite lonely. That's right. And quite isolated. So to give them a chance to meet and network and do all these things. Traveled a bit, went to Australia, took the family. Oh, no. That was so that fancy. was a great thing to say yes to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you want to come? I'm like, I'm on I the do. plane actually. Yes, thanks. I do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. My kids use that bragging rights for days. Of course. I would have been insufferable. Yeah. If I went to Australia that age, that's all I'd have talked about for yeah. the next 10 years. It was my eldest 14th birthday. So she kind of, great. her pictures on Instagram were her in front of the opera house and the bridge and smugness. She was, she was just, she was, she was delighted. It was, it was wonderful, actually. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that's awesome. One thing that I want you to know about Joe is that she really practices what she preaches. In fact, I had a live podcast event a couple of weeks ago with our friend Austin Channing Brown. Mm-hmm in Portland and Austin and I were talking about you uh, as you were the next guest and Austin says something to me like Joe will send me 
texts about once a week or every other week, like with this very specific encouragement to keep doing exactly what it is that I'm doing. And I was like, wait, she does that to me. Like, I felt like I was special. Like, I was the recipient of her very direct and specific encouragement, but she does it to everybody. So, yay, but also boo. Like, I'm like, wanted to be a snowflake in this and this is how you are there's only one you there's only one you and I do want you to know that about Joe because she is one of the greatest encouragers to me and very specifically in the last three years in which I needed an encourager I needed somebody to be saying keep going in this direction you're going keep moving keep keep your foot on the gas and Joe has done that for me every single week for the last several years. And so I would love for you to tell everybody, if you would, a little bit about your background, where you grew up. We'd love to hear about some of your biggest mentors Mm -hmm. and how they helped you, at least early on specifically, kind of embrace your own potential and giftings. Yeah, sure. So I'm a Londoner by birth. I grew up in, I was born in London, in England, Nigerian parents and very broken scenario. I know a number of us would describe broken families in different ways. I mean, you pick your design, but the way the brokenness worked out in our family is I ended up in foster care for the first six years of my life. And it was never anything I was embarrassed about because it was all I knew, to be Mm. honest. Our family was just that eclectic looking. Me and my immediate brother were fostered together and then after six years went back to live with my mum and lived with her until I left home and I think I mean there's all kinds of things my foster mother was an amazing woman she died at the age of 102 Mm. and incredible incredible and to describe she's a really quirky woman to describe her she was old when she fostered me she was in her 70s yeah and what had happened was she had never wanted to get married she decided early on that was not for her and that was part of her own story Mm. and in world war ii she started fostering evacuees outside taking them out of london because of this is a little little touch of english history for you because of the blitz and because of the bombings she would look after kids and basically in the midst of war she found her purpose Hmm. and her calling and she started fostering and kept on fostering and kept on and she just never found a reason to stop and so by the time she'd finished fostering and i think she was forced to retire by the time she'd finished she'd fostered over a hundred kids wow I like to say I was number 99, but I think that's just me deciding that. <laughs> but I was probably one of the, I mean, yeah. I was, there were maybe two after us. So, so yeah, yeah, we were some of the last ones, but she was my first memory. She was my safety, my security. I mean, it was the seventies, which means all kinds of things. The seventies was not very welcoming to a multi-ethnic foster family. Right. And she was a force mm. on our behalf. So she, in many ways, when I think of motherhood, I think of her. But then when I moved back to London and we grew, I grew up, I know the accent is a charm for America. God bless you, I get discounts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very grateful. I don't understand it. Where I grew up, everybody sounds like this. But I know. Yeah, I God know. bless America. <laughs> so uh, I'm taking it. I'll it's take it true. all. When I, when I got back to London, it was in the, I grew up in the inner city and it was a, it was a challenging neighborhood. Very difficult. Lots of deprivation. We were an immigrant family and there were the kinds of things which were said about immigrants now were definitely said about immigrants then just change who it was we were apparently stealing people's jobs we were promiscuous we were lazy we were all these things Mm. and there was a basically a village of African women mainly Nigerian women who my my mum and her friends and extended family who basically had to carve their way through London at that time Mm. and and raise their families and support families in another part of the world and 
allegedly be kind of be all these things to all kinds of people. And they were nurses and they worked at night and they had to deal with people who wouldn't allow them to touch them, wow. even though they were saving their lives, wow. even though they were looking after them. And, and so I, I, when I look back, I feel I've always been surrounded by women who worked out how to be strong. Some who knew they were strong from the beginning and some who worked it out along the way and realized that they were stronger because life demanded it of them, really. Mm. In terms of me in understanding leadership, I think I would probably be one of those who would say I was the last to know. Mm. I didn't automatically think I was. I, I thought doing things was something I did. You know, I was sure. the one who was given responsibilities. I, I kind of liked the responsibility, but I would never have called myself a leader because I, I, it didn't fit my image of what a leader was. Uh. I, I didn't feel articulate enough. I didn't feel confident enough by any stretch of the imagination. I was very aware of my weaknesses, very aware of the broken pieces of my story and how they continued to gnaw away at my psyche and mm. at my heart. So it was a youth pastor who gave me responsibilities. It was teachers who encouraged me. And I think it took me maybe 10, 12 years to ever even allow the word leader to be associated with mm. me. It was just something I did. It wasn't something anybody I was mm. really and I think it was looking back that I realized that leadership was part of my life so you said a minute ago that there came a point sort of in your recent adulthood where you said this is the lane I want to run the hardest yeah. in is this leadership space and so a lot of your work right now you're focused on creating tools to build women up so they are confident to step into their own yeah. leadership positions, which is really good work. So I'd love to hear from you. Number one, why do you think this is such a need? And then I'd also like to hear what you are noticing as the biggest obstacle or two mm -hmm. when it comes to women stepping into the leadership mm -hmm. space. I mean, I think why, why I think it's important, there's that quote that says, women make up half the sky. Yes, I love it. And I think mm. if we want to make a better world with human flourishing and a better place mm. for all our idealism, it needs all hands on deck. Yeah. I think some of it is just purely practical. Absolutely. It's just purely practical. We have a big job to get done. It mm. re will require all of us. I think as a person of faith, one of the tenets of my faith is that we're made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And because we're made in the image of God, we have gifts and talents and abilities that we have often left unwrapped. Yes. We've left them unwrapped because we've been told that women mm. can't use those gifts. We've left them unwrapped because we weren't sure. I, I always, I like to imagine it like Christmas. Um, my kids send me a PowerPoint presentation for, um, <laughs> to, I, I wish I was exaggerating. They, they do. They send me a PowerPoint yeah. presentation telling me what gifts they want. They like it because our family is spread internationally. Sure. They like us to send it to all the relatives around the world uh -huh. because who wouldn't want to be blessed by spending all their money on them? <laughs> in some way and totally. uh, but on christmas day they you know they don't even talk to me i mean they're just at the presence and things because that's what they yeah. want to do but i can't imagine what it'd be like with my kids or any child i loved to see them with gifts that they wouldn't want to touch mm, great because they didn't feel good enough because they didn't feel worthy because those mm. gifts made them threatening and yet i think women do that all the time mm. I think we do that with our talents. Yep. I think we do that with our abilities. I think we do that with our potential. I think we don't unwrap our gifts. Mm. And those gifts are, for, are not just about us. Therefore, human flourishing, That's the right. way you have with numbers, the way you have with hospitality, the way you have with communication isn't just for you, mm. but it, it, you do get to enjoy it, mm -hmm. but it actually gets to help somebody else. And so I think that's part of the fuel behind the fire for me mm. on that front. I think one of the biggest obstacles, we don't live beyond what we believe about ourselves. 
We don't love beyond what we believe about ourselves. We love to the degree to what we think we're worth. Mm. We live to the degree to what we think we're worth. We lead to the degree to what we think we're worth right. and what we're capable of. And if we feel like we're a fake, mm. if we feel like we're not sure we should be there, who do I think I am? Mm. What have I got to offer this place? Maybe one day they'll find out that I'm a fraud and they'll tell me I shouldn't be here and then I'll leave or something. Mm -hmm. I was reading this book about imposter syndrome just to make myself feel better. Hmm. And uh, it talked about, I think it was the book was called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Hmm. I think her name was Valerie Young mm -hmm. or Valerie Daly. I think it's Valerie Young, forgive me, Valerie. Mm -hmm. But she talks about the different faces of imposter syndrome and she describes it as the perfectionist. Hmm. Nine out of 10 isn't good enough. The expert. The expert is the person who will look at a job application and feel like unless they can fulfill all of those and oh, more, yes. they shouldn't even apply. Yes. I know women who haven't applied for jobs they were more than qualified yes. for because they felt they had to be the expert first. Statistically, guys don't feel the same way. I was just going to say that. It's so interesting. A, a lot of the men in my life can hit maybe two out of 10 yeah, and be like, ten and I'm your look. guy. <laughs> Pick me, choose me, love me. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, but am I good enough for you though? What if I don't know all the answers? Yeah. Because I'm not, anyway. Mm -hmm. So the natural genius, and that was the one that got under my skin most. And the natural genius is someone who is, is good naturally at certain things, but when they have to learn something new, because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like the things they were naturally good at, they sure. feel inadequate, Wow. feel like a fake, yeah. an imposter, because they should know this by now. Mm. The soloist who feels they have to do it all on their own. Yep. And then the superwoman, the superhero, Wonder Woman, mm. is my personal preference, <laughs> a superhero who has to be excellent at everything, at work, at home, with her yeah. friends, with the family, with the people she hates, I mean, struggles with, and all of those. <laughs> Do you know? It's the Christian version. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't hate them. I just want bad things to happen. That <laughs> yes. <kind of. laughs> yes. Yes. And when they do, I'm like, mm, I'll pray for you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. But I think all of those things yeah. can impact. I think we have to be aware of the different ways imposter syndrome can show up in our lives hmm. and how it stops us from showing up for our lives and can cause us to second guess our talents, our abilities, our skills, our contribution in the workplace, in like conversations we're meant to have when you know someone's taken you for granted, but you won't say mm. anything, because who do I think I am? Right. It can, it's not just in the big picture leadership mm. of a job or a role, it's in the leadership of your own life. That's good. The neighbor you are, mm -hmm. and how easy we can be taken for granted if we don't feel we're good enough. Mm. One thing that I love about you is your very uncanny ability to help the woman who believes that she is stuck, mm -hmm. like she's not progressing in her work, that she's not progressing in her relationships or in the space she's been handed. And you have regularly helped that woman identify roadblocks mm -hmm. that are in her way, that are holding her back. So I wonder if you could talk for a moment about what that means to you and how you, in your own words, train women to lead from the inside out. Mm -hmm. I love how you say that and how you help them reach into some of their darkest moments and lead forward and turn that into potential. I think a lot of it for many of us, when we think of who we become, a lot of it comes from our own story. And I think when I was a child, I felt incredibly powerless. I felt incredibly disposable. I had a, now, don't get me wrong, I had a wonderful experience in foster care. I, my story is one of those kind of poster child, idyllic mm. scenarios. However, to say you're not left with issues would be incredibly naive. And I felt disposable. Mm. 
Mm. I felt disposable. When we lived in an, in a city, I felt stuck. When you have people dehumanizing you and your family on a regular basis, you feel stuck. Yeah. When people talk to you slowly because they think you're unintelligent, you feel yeah. stuck. Yeah. When people write you off because you're a woman, because yeah. you're a black woman, yeah. you feel stuck. When people assume that you will never, and no, don't just assume, tell you you're not going to amount to anything. Mm. You feel stuck because who is ever going to see you? And I remember in my, we call it secondary school, I think middle and high school here, mm-hmm. my teachers telling me, you can be anything you want to be. And I'm like, how? Mm. Don't give me dreams unless there's a how. You don't live where I live. You don't see what I see. Some of my friends, and I didn't realize until I was an adult, some of my friends were trafficked. Mm. Some of the kids I used to hang out with at the basketball courts were trafficked. That was what happened to my neighborhood. Mm. So don't tell me about dreams unless there is a how. Unless there is a how which gives me a step by step by step piece. And I don't think that was the response she was expecting from me at 12, mm. which was awkward. Mm. But, <laughs> but I think that hunger for the how has informed me as a leader yep. and has informed me when anybody feels stuck. Are you as powerless as you feel or are you frightened of the choice you have to make? Mm, that's a good question. Are you frightened of how mm. people will feel about you if you make a particular decision? Those are th- some of the things that have stirred, stirred me. So that was one part of it. And then the other part of it is when I did leave home and I went to college, it was like this um, an emotional catch up because you meet other people who've been raised very differently and who, who've had access to lots of different opportunities. I just remember grieving. Hmm. grieving for the piano lessons I didn't have. I don't know if I wanted to learn how to play the piano. Mm. I just grieved anyway. Sure. Do you know what I mean? I wanted access. Mm. I wanted access to what my friends had. And I grieved that I didn't have a father and I grieved that Mm. I didn't have all these pieces. And I realized that if I didn't process the wounds, they would consume me. Hmm. If I didn't process the difficult things that had happened in my childhood, if I didn't process the living realities of those things, they would stay with me forever. And because of the memory I have, they stay with me, but Mm. they would not just have a kind of picture memory, they'd have a memory that would define my life. Yes. And I realized as I began to, what's the phrase we use now, do the work Mm -hmm. of healing and acknowledging and giving voice to the past, it freed me up for the future. Yeah. And so I think as I began to work on leading and work with people, I realized that when I saw leaders telling me and women telling me they were stuck or that they weren't, they couldn't come to anything or they would never be able to amount to anything, I saw a similar feeling of powerlessness Mm. because they didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And I saw a similar wounds, different stories, stories which I could never even imagine how they made it through, but they were there. They were still there. So if if you're still here telling that story, then there's Mm -hmm. some energy to move forward. And so part of what I do and when I'm working and coaching with people is in some ways unpacking the stories. Mm. So often in our history, when we look at our literature, when we look at our art, women's stories aren't told or heard. And we don't actually see ourselves in the world. We Mm. more now, but growing up, we didn't see as much. And so hearing the story, I like to catch people saying, so how did you do that? Mm. Because we don't always realize the things we've overcome or the implications of the things we've overcome. Mm -hmm. And then when I talk about the lead, now I'm not a therapist, so I tend to just send people to them Mm -hmm. and just say, what you need is your neighborhood therapist. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I have therapy intermittently and I probably will for the rest of my days because I'd rather have it for Mm -hmm. a year than need it for 20. You know, I'd Good. rather have it uh, you know, and and do the work and yeah. cry the tears and find the tools that I just didn't get given mm. than it 
manifest itself all over my life mm-hmm. or worse my fam- my marriage my kids my friendships and so one of the things that I love to do is encourage people therapy in that yeah. direction yes and then say okay what was also on the inside what were the dreams that were on the inside mm-hmm. I often ask the question who were you before anybody told you who you were supposed to be mm. just to begin to dig for that original design that's great. Just to begin to dig for those gifts and talents that have been buried by our weariness and our tiredness and our busyness mm. and cultural oughts and shoulds and all the rest. Mm. It's so true that there is something really powerful about just a moment mm-hmm. when women realize and acknowledge that they have agency yeah. over their life. And one of my friends, do you ever like share therapy? Like me and my friends tell yeah. each other what our therapists it's tell cheaper. us. It's yeah. It's like we're doubling share down. Share the wealth. Right. Right. Share the wealth. It's a two for one. One of my Budgets. friends went to therapy recently and the way that her therapist talked to her about it was she said, you know, you, you need to imagine that you are a powerful creator in that you have agency to create new things. You have agency to create relational healing. Like if, if you are so unhappy with the way something is going, you are a creator. Yeah. It's possible for you to steer the ship into meaningful change. It's possible for you to do the work. It is mm. possible for you to say, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. It's possible for you to say, I'm going to make a change. And so I think of that, that rattles around in my head now about being creators in our own world and having agency over it. And just that acknowledgement is a huge step, a huge step into the work, which then seems way more possible. Is something in your life holding you back from either reaching your goals or just being healthy? It might be time to talk it through with someone. And I'm telling you, it has never been easier to find help on your own time, in your own terms, thanks to BetterHelp Counseling. With BetterHelp, you get to connect to a professional counselor in a completely safe and private online environment. Your counselor is available via text, chat, phone, video, which is so convenient for real life. BetterHelp has 3,000 licensed therapists across the U.S. who specialize literally in whatever you're trying to work through. Anxiety, depression, difficult relationships, trauma, LGBTQ pain or issues, grief or anger. Plus, financial aid is available for those who qualify. So cost doesn't have to hinder you from getting the help that you deserve. BetterHelp is offering my listeners 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So to get started, just head over to BetterHelp dot com slash for the love, fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor that you love. So that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, guys, back to our show. One thing that I've heard you talk about a lot that I have learned from is how you talk about negative labels and names that either we have given ourselves or someone else assigned to us at a really crucial time or even as grownups. And sometimes we don't even know that we're hanging on to those. How would you counsel us in the room to identify negative, unhelpful untrue labels and then exchange them for something more meaningful. Yeah. I think, first of all, I like to just remind people of the power of words. 
Because I think we, we say things about ourselves and we can get quite dismissive of their impact. When I was a kid, there was that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words could never hurt me. Mm-hmm. And it's such a lie. Right. Do you know I mean, it's such right. a lie. It's like, that may be a pithy rhyme, but it's rubbish. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's rubbish. it's rubbish. Absolute junk. Give yeah. me a stick any day. Because yes. then we can, we can go stick to stick. Do yes. you know what I'm saying? Yes. Give me a stone. Yep. I will share stones also with you Mm. or boulders, whichever is. But words have a way. (laughs) Words have a way of getting under your skin and into your heart and into your mind. And I can't remember who the quote was, but they say words create worlds. Mm. If you get told you're stupid every day, if you get told you're not good enough every day, it it sticks. Mm. Or if and if it doesn't stick, you are worn down by the fighting. You know, right. for some of us, it didn't stick, but we have expended energy on the fight that could have been used elsewhere. That's good. What I encourage people to do is think of the things they say they always are mm. or never can be. Oh, that's We great. often find the words in the always and the nevers. Mm. We often find them in the shoulds. Mm. Oh, that's um, a great filter. Boy, some come right you know to what mind. I mean? what, yep. you, what have you said you'll never be? Mm-hmm. I said I'd never speak in public. Oh, cute. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. Self-awareness yeah. wasn't yeah. happening at that yes. point. What did you say you'd never be? What What did you say you could never do? And I don't just mean the ones like, I'm never going to be able to learn how to fly. I right. mean, do you know what I mean? Right. Within right. perspective. Right. When you're hard on yourself, what, what are you likely to get frustrated at yourself mm-hmm. for? Because sometimes these things are so embedded in our being, we don't have words for them now, they're feelings. Mm. They are instinctive responses. Mm. Are you disappointed in yourself all the time? Mm. Do you begin the day with a list? And if you have not accomplished that list, you're a failure. I'd say pay attention to the thought processes. What are the loops that come around? You know, a good time to think about it is the holiday season oh. when you see fam. Right. I mean, if anything's going to bring up the junk. No, it's, yeah. No. Let's it's, talk politics. You know what I mean? Oh, it's oh. just terrible. It's so terrible. You know it's mean? all about it's to like go sideways. Dumpster yep. fire that it is. I think observation is important because mm. the thing is, we like a room like this, you walk in and you see chairs, you look and you see the intricacies of things in the room. Mm. I think if we pay attention, close attention to how we function, the things that go through our mind, we'll see some things there. And the other place I'd go is to where you compare yourself to people mm. because that often speaks to what you wish you were or wish right. you weren't. Those are some of the places. But I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to resolve all these things on our own. When actually there is a role for your community. Mm. There is a role for your key people, your sisterhood, your friendship group, the trusted friends. Not the friends that hate you, really. The trusted <laughs> friends. Those aren't, by the way, they're not your friends. Right. That, one, that yeah. one who puts you down all the yeah. time, no, she ain't yeah. your friend. We're Get too rid old of for her. that. Yeah. Too old for girl Bless drama. Bless her on her journey yep. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry. We just bless just, and release. Just, just release. We bless and release. Go on your path. <laughs> but, but, but I think there is a place for trusted friends who see you hmm. and love you. Not like your yes friends who hold your hands to your own destruction. I don't mean those friends right. either. They, they, I mean, that was fun when you're 19, but right. also awkward, also expensive. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my best friend is going to hear this. And she said, I was in that pause, wasn't I? And I'm like, yes, you were. <laughs> um, I, think some, I think we have to recognize that identity isn't just an internalized thing that we get mm. by navel gaze and it's given. There's a tribe, our mutual friend Anne tells, us, tells me about this. There's a, a Himba tribe who, when a child is born, they sing over that child. And at certain key points in that child's life, they sing a song over that child and when that child has grown and if they ever lose their way the villagers gather that child to them and they sing the song mm, that was sung over them when story. they were born 
And I think sometimes you need to know who your people are who will remind you of who you are. Mm, that's who great. remind you of what you're about, who remind you of your purpose. Yep, yep, it's great. You know, I, I can't speak for the spiritual experiences of the people here, but I didn't grow up hearing many, many of the sermons I heard didn't talk about the women. Right, same. I didn't hear people talk about Deborah. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear people talk about Lydia, who was a businesswoman, and Deborah, who was a judge. Right. I didn't hear their stories. I, and d- don't get me wrong, it's, I, it's not like I can't learn from, Duke, from guys' stories. Of course I can. I'm a We're human into being. Moses. We like John. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. a human being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of course you can learn. Sure. It's just that yeah. I didn't hear their stories and their stories were there. That's right. I think one of the other things, and this is one of the things that I beat a drum about, is the part in the Bible in Genesis 2 verse 18, where, and which has become the crux of things for a number of people, where there are two creation accounts. The second one God made the sun, moon, stars, good, 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 all wonderful. And then he says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And for some, for some, it's like, cool. And others is like, cool. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. And wondering what that means. And we've often brought our understanding, yeah. our cultural understanding. You don't need to manipulate a text to say what you want. Mm. It's just that the word that is helper is in the Hebrew is a word, Aza. Right. And it, oh, I don't know how to pronounce ancient Hebrew. Sorry, that was good um, enough. Go with the accent for a little bit longer, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and, um, and it's a combination of a few words. Two words meaning to rescue, to save, and to be strong. Mm. It's a word with military connotations. The Ace is a warrior. It's a word which often is associated with strength and power. Yes. In the culture of the day, it was someone who had the power and the resources to help. Twice when you read it, it's referring to the woman, three times to military aid, about 15 times God delivering his people from his enemies. And so when you're thinking about being made in the image of God, Mm. and God is described as an ever-present help, you realize that maybe what we've placed on the word helper is not what God placed on the word helper. And I've seen that free people up because sometimes there are women who felt they they can't be strong. Right. As though periods don't happen. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, seriously, seriously. It's like, but seriously, I think we have relegated ourselves. We've squeezed ourselves into boxes that we were never asked to put ourselves That's in. Good. And I'm not actually talking about positions or roles at this mm-hmm. point. I'm just talking about DNA and how you're wired, mm-hmm. how you create it and how wonderful it is. It helps us as leaders to push against that narrative and challenge those traditional understandings because we have daughters. And so to me, that's when a lot of this stuff gets real crystal clear. Sometimes when I'm thinking about myself and the way that I grew up and the messages that I internalized and where I was and was not invited to use what my gifts are, it gets muddy. But when I look at my girls, it gets clear. Like, no, that's an incorrect assessment of what scripture said or what our design was, what their capacity is, what their potential is. And so it is that next generation that for me offers a lot of clarity on how to move forward. Speaking of, one thing that you do also really well is that you say it's really never too late in any way to move into leadership space or to turn a corner in your life in some sort of meaningful way. And I'm curious how you think, how do we cultivate a mindset that says, I can do hard things even after I feel like my time has passed, 
right? How yeah. do you encourage us, like really wherever you are in your journey, or too young for that matter, mm. or I'm not, I'm not there yet. I need more time. How would you lead us toward that sort of mindset? I think we've got to remember where ageism lives. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think it's weird. For those of us who say we're people of faith, then you look at the characters in the Bible and a lot of them are a lot older. True. When they actually did stuff. Yeah. They're a lot older. That's so true. I'm like, that's a good point. So that's not working. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I think some of this is cultural. In terms of my Nigerian heritage, my Yoruba, that's the tribe I'm from, the Yoruba tribe. And actually not just the Yorubas, but all the tribe. You respect elders. So that's the place of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would ask you, where is, that, where is this a cultural landscape that mm. you are adhering to that tells you that it's too late? And I think some of it is because it's what we see. It was uh, Marion Wright Edelman who has worked with the Children's Defense Fund who said mm. it's hard to be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't see yourself yep. or if you see kind of like, oh, I see women doing things until a certain age and then they disappear. Mm. Then you might think you disappear. Mm. I think I've been blessed with the example of the women in my life. Mm. So like with my foster mother fostering at 70, well, that decided some things. A story about her when I was looking through a newspaper years ago and and I looked at the newspaper and I thought her name was Aunt May. And I said, why is Aunt May in the paper? And she had won an award for England's most inspiring learner. Wow. What I didn't know when I was fostered is that she was illiterate. And she told me later that at 14, a teacher had told her she was stupid. Mm. So she left the classroom and never went back. And then in her 90s, she decided to go back to school. We have 16 plus national exams. Mm -hmm. So she did English, then she did math, then she did computing, sent me an email. Hey, Joe, I'm emailing. And I'm like, oh, all right. But I think she just kept on reminding us by her example that it's not too late. It's not too late. You have breath, you have time. And I think most recently, my mom as well. Now, me and my mom have not had an easy relationship. She would agree with that. Mm -hmm, (laughs) She'd so agree with that. And I was was talking with her the other day, and I said, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I've taken up an art class. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And she goes, I'm taking up painting. Yeah. And her and my auntie Bassie, who is like my other mother, they kind of move together as a pack. They, they go to a workout class and then they, then they do painting. And she said, you know, you're never too old to learn. She's 80. Hmm. And I am struck by both sets of women who had very challenging stories, very challenging stories and complicated people hmm. who have not given up yet and who are still gaining and drawing from life. We have, what was it, is it Mary Oliver who says, well, what will you do with this one precious life? Yeah. And I think some of it is, if you have breath, you can learn. Yes. And the internet is free now. Yes, it is. The Google. It's on your phone. Are there, it's on your yeah. phone. You know, and, and why not? Yeah. Why not learn something new? Uh. Why not try something Great. new? I think we've said why so many times that we actually haven't just said, why, why not? not? Mm. Why not join a running club? Why not do this thing? Why not join a choir? And no, you might not be famous, but so? Let the Kardashians do that for us all. Thank you. You know, go with God. Taking up all the I'm oxygen. Just, it might not be monetized. That doesn't mean it's not worthy. That's good. It might just bring you joy. That's right. And, and that's enough. That's and that's worth enough. It. It might just be fun. 
Hello, fun. Oh, that's cute. Had any hobbies recently, anybody? Yes. Do you know what I mean? It might just be fun. And I would encourage us to keep on in that trajectory. My best friend, Jenny, who you've actually met before, she's 51. And last year, she Googled, is 51 too old to learn a language? And Google was like, no, it's not. And she was like, okay, Google says I can. So she's taking Spanish. <laughs> that yes. is awesome. She's in a that Spanish awesome. immersion class. She's terrible. <laughs> oh, she's terrible. She's from like deep South Alabama. So it's just, it's atrocious. <laughs> but she's but going hey. for it. It's not too late. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I love that story about going back to school in her 90s. That's so, I've never heard you tell that. I love it. What are some cool stories you've heard lately in leadership? It's funny because some women automatically assign leadership to a type of leadership, yeah. but leadership exists on a hundred planes. Who have you spoken to recently that you're like, I like it. I like her. I like what she's doing. I like where she's going. One of my friends, she's not here. My friend Colette, she is a professional here in the Twin Cities. And what I love about her is one, her generosity. Hmm. She's just a very generous woman. She is not threatened she is proactive in recommending people. She commits a percentage of her time to networking. Oh yeah. To connecting with people, to making introductions. Yeah. We go for walks and that we, like, I think people are terrified of us when we go for walks. We like walk around Como and we walk around like fiercely because kind of yes. we're like talking about these things and it's amazing and it's awesome. And it's an intense it's walk. It's an intense walk. And, yes. well, and then we have snacks, which probably yeah, well, undo the walk. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, you've earned it yeah. or something. Yeah. I love, I love what she does. I'm actually going to embarrass somebody, Beth, who, who's one of the coaches at Mums on the Run. Awesome woman. One of the policies they have is no woman left behind. Mm. And I think it's just a good lesson for life. It's great. It's a good lesson for life. It doesn't matter how out of breath somebody is, that woman will never be left alone. Ever. I want to talk about something that you just sort of mentioned with both those examples. You mentioned that Colette spends 30% of her time networking, yeah. no woman left behind. Uh, you and I talked about this earlier mm -hmm. when we were back here, but can we talk about the lie that women often buy into? Number one, like a lie of scarcity, that there's just not enough to go around, that we are all fighting for the same two seats at the table and that we are each other's competitors. You know, we've been taught that. We've been conditioned to see one another in that way. And yet you just listed two examples that are sort of born out of generosity, out of sisterhood, out of community, out of collaboration. I don't know what my question is, except I want you to talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's completely understandable because I think they are the felt experiences of many a woman where they are the only woman in the room. Shonda Rhimes described it in her book, The Year of Yes, as being the first only different. Mm. And that sometimes there were only spaces. Those were the only people employed or whatever. And so I think part of the problem is that there's enough truth in it for it to be pervasive, mm. but there's not enough truth in it for it to render us powerless permanently. Mm. And what I mean by that is again, how do we get to change the narrative? on certain things. We don't always have a choice, but I was gonna say we have a choice about where we work and my mother would be like, did I? But we do have a choice about how we function in certain places. Yes. We have a choice about how we make friends and how we share information mm -hmm. and share knowledge and give people access. And I think that's probably why there's been a rise in entrepreneurship with women, because when there isn't a place at the table and why the side hustle, as mm -hmm. it's often described, has become more of a, I mean, I think it's always been a thing, to be mm -hmm. honest. I mean, my mum and my aunt's always selling stuff oh, now. Yeah. They're from Italy, apparently. 
Sure. They were always buying, selling shoes, my aunts were. And they always had a business. But I think it was, if there is no room at this table, I will find a way to build my own. I will build a wide, long table for anyone to gather at. So I think one of our challenges with the scarcity feeling that we have to ask ourselves, one, is it real in our workplace and how are we going to deal with that? Hmm. Are there policy things? Some of it's structural. Are there things that we need to talk to our HR about and all of that? Hmm. For those of us who do have positions of power, what are we going to do with that power that we have? Yep. I think that's an honest question we have Absolutely. to ask. Are we sponsors to other women? Hmm. I've read some, I think it was a Harvard Business Review thing that said the difference between a mentor and a sponsor, a mentor gives you wise advice, a sponsor helps you get to the next level. Mm. Will we be the kind of women that will help another woman get to the next level? Yeah. Will we be proactive about that? Will we recommend somebody? Now, it's, I think the competition thing is hard because if there's a job that you want that could change your life mm-hmm. and you know there's a woman in your department who could change her life, it's hard. Mm. I think we have to acknowledge that reality. Mm -hmm. But I think what I see from the athletic world is that there is a way to compete clean Mm. (laughs) and there's a way to compete dirty. Mm. And I think we have to work out the people we're going to be. Now, that doesn't mean people aren't... I mean, there are people who have treated us dirty, for sure. And I can't control anybody else's behavior, but I am responsible for mine Mm. and the way I relate. I am responsible in my sphere and I and I know there's a range of different professions here so it would sure. it will contextualize differently for us. In my sphere I make a habit of recommending people, yep. of making introductions. I harass my publishers. I harass them and say, "Have you heard of this woman? Have you yes. heard of this woman? Do you know what she's doing? Do you know it's amazing? Do you yeah. know I, I make introductions all the time." Yep. And that may cost me opportunities. I don't care because it shouldn't just be me. I'm not the only black woman who speaks. That's right. I'm not even the only black woman with an English accent. That's true. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm not the only one. And so it doesn't actually need to be me. That's right. And actually, I can't remember the quote and who it's by, but that whole thing about a rising tide floats every boat or little boats. And I think there is a sense in which we can be proactive about that in our spheres. We, We don't control everything, but the areas where we do have some say... Where are we inviting people, including people, recommending yeah. people, so that the areas where we have a say, we're not letting it stay scarce I there. love it. You know I agree. I think that's an important thing. Quick break from a sponsor I think you're going to be excited to hear from. If you are parents with littles or elementary age kids, look, my heart goes out to you right now, Right. I know you are wondering, how am I going to get my kids the learning and the development their little minds need with everything so strange right now, right? I have just learned about a really cool resource that I think you're going to want to know about. It's called Vooks, like rhymes with books, Vooks. So Vooks is a streaming service that brings storybooks to life with animated illustrations and a narrated story. So they're so cool. These are storybooks where the illustrations move and have sound effects. Plus a narrator can read aloud to your child so you can catch a little break. And this streaming library of storybooks is ad-free, absolutely kid safe, and trusted by teachers all around the world. It's screen time that you can feel good about. And right now, Vooks is committed to being a resource to keep kids reading at home. Ugh, we need this right now, you guys. They've created downloadable lesson plans to help parents provide their kids with 20 minutes a day of read aloud time and activities that go with it. So to get these downloadable resources and start your 30-day trial of Vooks, go to vooks.com slash for the love. I'll spell that for you. It's V. O-O-K-S 
looks.com slash for the love and you get a free 30 day trial. Yes. Yes. All right, you guys back to the show. Okay. Before we move into Q and a, we've got a little like rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on our podcast, we often ask our guests, what are you listening to? Right now? What's your playlist? Mm-hmm. So in that spirit, what either is like song or album are you listening to right now that is just firing you up? The conquer the world stuff. Ooh. Well, I have a kind of like playlist of those. Yeah. There's one particular song. It's an old by a woman called Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. And um, the song's called Golden. And there's, and there's a line where it says, I'm taking my freedom, taking it off the shelf. And it's this woman basically owning her agency. Mm. And it's this really joyful, elevated song. And she's an amazing voice as well. And it's just kind of like, I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm taking my freedom. I'm wearing it around my neck. I'm putting it in my car. And it's this whole thing of all that I've got, I'm putting it to good use kind of thing. Mm. Always Beyonce. Sure. Just always. Yeah. Yeah, just always Beyonce. Just always, yes. Helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that good. right. As well. What is the last TV show or series oh, that you binged? Modern Love. Oh, I've been hearing about this. Modern Love. Uh, oh, yeah. hello. Anyone agree yeah. in the house? Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it is awesome. I've been hearing this. It is, I, I think it's an eight episode. I may have watched the first eight. <laughs> <laughs> All in one in a day. I think I did. I think I started and then it was like, oh, it's 3 a.m. I probably should go to bed now. Oh, I love um, that. It was amazing and just beautifully done. Yeah. Great stories. I watched one again last night. I'm going to watch it all over sure. again. Okay. Yeah. Brandon came into the room a couple of nights ago and I had powered up this next series that I was excited to watch. And he's like, what are you watching? And I was like, the history of the Roosevelt's. He's like, nerd. Such a nerd. <laughs> Love history. Okay. When you either are having a bad day or you're celebrating, either way, what is your go-to comfort food? Where you're fries. like... <laughs> Always fries. Yeah. If they're really hot as well, mm. if someone brings me like really hot fries, I know I'm loved. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When it's so hot and so fresh, you almost don't need ketchup. You have ketchup Ooh, because it's right. So good. Yeah. You you have and and sometimes like if it's feeling a little, I don't know, you're feeling a little je ne sais quoi, then you will have Aoli. different. Uh-huh. Yes, 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 yes. You'll have a little bit of that and maybe a touch of some kind of sweet chili sauce sure. and things. Just a dip. Yeah. Just a dip. Do you like them skinny and like crunchy or what's your fry? You know, to I don't like to discriminate ratio. with my fries. Um, okay. I, I wouldn't want no fry left behind. Okay. Yeah, on that kind of stuff. But, no fry left behind. But, but I will have them. I do like them long. Like uh-huh. even if my kids are having them, I remember uh-huh. when I was with I was with my eldest. She's anyway. I probably have to pay her for mentioning her. But I was with my eldest in Arizona a while back. I took her on a trip with me, and she had these fries, and one of them was particularly long. And she said, "Mom, you can have one." I thought I'm taking the big yeah, one, yeah. and I did. Well, you know what? You paid for it. I did. So and she and she knows my love for fries too. Oh, yes. So she's like, "Please just take it." Oh You're yes. a disaster. So thinking through like the work that you do, the spaces that you occupy, do you have a person that you look at and go, that is a, I don't know if that you aspire to be like her, but she's a role model for you. You know, the the thing is, I think I like to look at leaders in all their different spaces. So the person I watch a lot is Ava DuVernay. Oh yes, she's so amazing. And now I'm not a filmmaker or anything, but I think I've just watched her career 
And I've watched the way she gathers and includes people. I've watched the way, and some of it is personal. Some of it is personal in the sense of seeing a black woman leading, seeing when she did A Wrinkle in Time, the protagonist looked like my girls. Yeah. And she said she wrote it for kids 18 to 14, these girls. And my daughter, my youngest was at a point where she said to me, I never see myself on screen. Mm. And she said, I'm tired of it. And she said, I'm sick of it. I never see myself in books. I don't see myself on TV. I don't see Mm. myself. And then the year after happens and it's Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther and everything else. And it's like, I see myself. And it's awesome kind of thing. And, but I, I loved the way, just in her work, she finds people. Yeah. She makes sure that the lighting touches black skin in a way that celebrates it. She includes a range of people, which gives a range of perspectives in their art. And I think I just want to be the kind of woman where there's no woman left behind. Mm. I want to be the kind of leader that finds the people who are missing and says, who's not in the room? Why is there not an indigenous woman in here? Mm. Why is there not a Latina woman in here? Why is there not an African immigrant in here? Why isn't there an African American woman in here? But they all have unique, distinct stories. Where are the introverts? Mm. Where are the women with disabilities? Who every single one? Do you know what I mean? I want to make sure that we're hearing, listening. I think leaders are listeners. Yes. And when I look at Ava's, I say first name terms like I know her. When I look at Ava's work, um, I I see a woman who has, you don't do that passively. Mm. You actively do that. If you don't do it, you don't do it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by wishful thinking or by passion. It happens Mm. by action. That's a great answer. And I see someone who does it by action. That's a great answer. Before we ask the last question that we ask everybody, what are you working on right now? Oh, things. (laughs) I love gathering women who lead. So I have a digital platform where I coach once a month. It's originally called Joe Saxton Leadership Coaching. It's clear. (laughs) So I'm great at names. It's clear. Um, And it's a digital platform where monthly gathering online and then there's an online community. And again, I just wanted an accessible space for women who are leading in whatever sphere they're in to have a place where they can learn. And if that night they just need to go to bed, then they Mm. go to bed and it's archived and Mm. they've not missed out. So that's one of the things. And also a book, a book called Ready to Rise. And then the sub, what is the subtitle? Yes. Own your voice, gather your people, step into your influence. I like it. And it took a long time to come up with that. I like it. And when I I say come up with it, I think somebody else did. Totally. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Takes a village to write a book. Um, I almost lost my salvation on subtitles. I mean, seriously. Seriously. It's like, I want to say everything. Can I write it in all the corners? Uh I'm excited about it because I just want to put into women's hands the courage, but with a how-tos, how you can get your voice back, how you can grow your grit, how you can build a village, how to build the kind of relationships where you talk to each other about what you're getting paid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I was saying to you, yep. we were talking about this um, around the back saying, saying, I want us to have the kind of relationships where we can have honest conversations about pay. Yeah. Because there is so much happening in secret. That's right. Me too was happening for decades in secret. Yep. And we didn't know. And because we didn't know, and I'm not trying to make guys the enemy when I say this, I'm just saying in our, the context of our environments, because we didn't know, countless people yeah. suffered. That's right. And I think there are so many, we have so many opportunities if we learn how to build a village of relationships Mm. where we can feel secure enough to really talk about what's really happening. And we're vulnerable enough to say, this is what I'm getting paid. That's right. And say, this is what you might want to be asking for. And when I say might, that's my English way of saying should be asking for. That's right. When does that come out? That comes out April 2020. (laughs) 
Last question, and then we'll move to your questions. I've asked you this before. Okay. I ask every guest this, and you can answer how you want. It's Barbara Brown Taylor's question. Mm. What's saving your life right now? I think it probably, right now, it is the village. We share a team. We have a similar team. Mm-hmm. And I will embarrass them by saying they are saving my life right now. Mm. They are good people. I know. They are kind. They are generous. Yeah. They, I, over the years, and I, don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of real good people in my life. I know it sounded a bit scary at the beginning, but, <laughs> but I, have, I have had a lot of good people. But I think sometimes when you become strong, you become the strong one. Mm. And when you're the strong one, you take care of everybody else. And mm. I can see some of your eyebrows saying you yeah. agree. Take care of everybody else's needs. You make sure everyone else is getting what they need. And you forget you need looking after. That's right. We would love to pivot to any questions you have. Now, we reserve the right to not know. Yeah. Is that fair? That's so true. We reserve the right to be like, mm, pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> If you have a question for Joe or for me or for both of us, we have a bit of time to do our worst. Hi, I'm Monica. Um, Monica. Thank you for being here. One of the things that I thoroughly admire about you is the fact that you embrace people's truths um, and encourage more speaking about them and, and really want people to be seen for who they are and where they are. And what I've found is that we live in kind of a culture now that is very defensive mm. of their truths and that just because my truth looks very different than somebody else's doesn't mean they can't both be true. Mm. And I really, really enjoy listening to everyone's truths because I feel like it gives you a broader perspective of the world. Race, culture, all those things, everybody's different. And I come from a place that's very different than most. And I feel like my struggle has blessed me with that perspective. Mm. That being said, how do you, in difficult conversations, respond to the defensiveness and the mm. walls that come up? Because when I share my side of something or share who I am or hear somebody else's side, I want to learn. I want to be a better human being and a very compassionate person because I don't really think we're going to get anywhere as a country if we don't start listening. Mm-hmm. And how do you encourage more of that instead of defensiveness? Yeah. That's mm. a hard one, isn't it? It is. It's a hard one because I think people have, have so many, pa- so passionate, and we are in a context which seems to be so binary, and it's That's like right. you're either this and you think it is this or this. I think, in some ways, I think you've answered a lot of the question mm-hmm. in terms of listening. I think we do need to learn to become active listeners again, and I think compassion goes a long way. Mm. It's very hard to hear other people's stories when they go up against all the things that you stand for. I think what keeps me listening is I have to remind myself that person's made in the image of God, even if I want to punch that image in the face at that time. Um, I'm not saying that because it's right. I'm just saying it because I'm honest. You know what I mean? Um, um, But I, I have to, I have to stay in. I have to stay listening. I have to stay loving. I have to stay wanting to hear even when it's hard. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means staying off Facebook. Mm, Sometimes it means unfollowing people so I stay liking them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really does. Sometimes it's all the the noise around because Mm -hmm. when you're sitting at, and and also there are are contexts for conversations. You have to put your weapons down to eat together. Whereas when you are tweeting one, with one another, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can't mm-hmm. do it. I'm not good at that. I'm mm-hmm. not good. I know the way I hear people best. And it tends to be in relaxed settings mm-hmm. just when everybody's human again. Mm-hmm. That's when I tend to, when all my 
sincerely thought, reasoned out opinions are put to the side and I see a human being in front mm-hmm. of me. So. And I, I remember there was an event, uh, I was at one time and it was a workshop and it was a group of people talking about just their story and where they've been marginalised. And I thought, you know what, I just need to be silent for the whole time. Mm. And Good. And sometimes the best way we can respond is nothing at all, is to hear people. Teach people to, have, to listen uh, by listening. Sorry, what's that? I said teach people yeah, to listen and, by listening. And I think we have to ask curious questions again. I agree. And say, tell me, you know, like I think there are things to remember, like anger is a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, one of the therapists told me that, and that's for free to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2004, that was. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's to do with fear or pain. Mm. And so if someone is angry... I need to ask, what are they afraid of that's and it. where are they hurting? Yep. That's Rather exactly. than, oh, you're angry and that must mean you're... Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly another right. thing we're afraid of women being sometimes is angry. Right. And uncomfortable. They're very shrill. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I've yeah. had to... <laughs> I've, had to mm. I've had to be okay with, will I dare to hear what they're afraid of? Yes, that's it. Even if their fear is based on something completely unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Will I dare to hear where they're hurting mm-hmm. and their sense of loss? I also have to know my own propensities. I'm excellent at judging people. Same. It's a real gift. <laughs> real talent. I could train and coach for yes. years on judging. Yeah. You do it like that. Anyway, but <laughs> so I've had to recognize my, what I bring to the conversation before a word is said. Mm. Am I already standing in judgment over you? Mm-hmm. Are we having a place which is known as my territory? Mm. Or am I, are we meeting in a place which is neutral territory? Because of power. Yeah. Am I willing to listen or, and even if my voice wants to burst forth mm-hmm. and interrupt, will I pinch myself until mm-hmm. I'm silent? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's things like that. that have inv- and will I invite, um, will I ask questions and actually listen to the answer? Mm. And will I thank them for sharing yes. and see that? Do you know what I mean? Those, those have been things that I'm, I'm going to say I'm good at it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I'm still learning how to do that better. One little tool that my friend Kelly Corrigan gave me to extend a conversation, because what happens is it's normally it hits hard right up front. That's where the friction is like, boom. And that's where the defensiveness comes in. It's that's when it's going to go the worst. And so one tool that she she's used with her kids, but it also works in really challenging conversations to extend the life of it, which is really just giving that conversation the gift of time to flesh out a little bit more is to simply say, Tell me more. Mm. Just tell, okay, tell me more. Because like Joe said, generally just under that horrible thing that they just said is something else. And just under that is something even more. Well, tell me more and tell me what your experience was. And that can really move a conversation into um, way more tender territory than just that sort of hostile initial. But I mean, honestly, mostly I just want to punch people. Uh, it's hard. This it's is hard. why we need exercise. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's right. That's true. This is why we need... Thank you for your question. It's a great question. So what did I tell you? Isn't Joe amazing? I said she's one of our best teachers, and I'm delighted you're getting to see her wisdom and humor firsthand right now. So the past few days, Joe and I have been thinking of you. I know so many of you are leaders in your spaces, your small business owners, bosses, executives in corporate America, and like the rest of us, you're trying to make sense of these tough and weird times and wondering how to lead your people. Right now, 
it can help to have a seasoned leader who can coach you the way you're coaching others. So Joe's here to help you through her online Joe Saxton Leadership Coaching Program. Joe's actually coached leaders through every crisis you can imagine. And even though this is a crisis you couldn't have imagined, how could any of us? Joe is here to encourage you and inspire you and give you practical tips and resources that will help you keep your business going. Joe has an offer for my listeners. She's giving you 30 free days of leadership coaching. So to take advantage of this offer, which you should, visit joesaxton.com slash for the love. So that's Joe Saxton, S-A-X-T-O-N, joesaxton.com slash for the love to get 30 days of free leadership coaching today from one of the best leaders out there. What a girl. Go get it. Okay, back to our show. Hello, ladies. Hi. Lots of really great deep conversations. I'm talking about undoing a lot of, you know, kind of that damaging beliefs that we have about one another. I'm a educator by trade and I was hearing you talk about your daughters and you talk about your child and saying they don't have a model and I couldn't help but sit here and think do you have resources that you could point the crowd to in regard to what you're talking about opening room at the table Mm -hmm. for youth you know to try to help these conversations flourish I know that there's a lot Mm -hmm. um and as an educator myself I just was sitting here thinking I actually don't know enough Mm -hmm. organizations that are creating networks, creating sisterhoods mm-hmm. with teens, young teens, older teens, and just wondering if either of you ladies mm-hmm. had some resources. Well, I would say if in terms of representation for your students, racially, specifically, culturally, that it's really, it's a simple matter of looking at whatever your content is. What is the lesson? What is the issue? What is the bit of history? What is the material? And rather than just reach for the lowest hanging fruit, which is just typically white contribution, just do a little digging. It's all there. There has been black excellence and black genius and black innovation Mm -hmm. and black creativity and art and music and literature. And, and frankly, when it comes to to history, the truth, the truth Mm -hmm. of it. And so again, to the, to not to just beat the point to death, but it's just intention rather than saying, we're going to default to the white narrative, which we've always done. That's we've built a whole country on it. It's this mental channel change where I'm going to tell a fuller truth, a fuller story. And again, everyone wins there. That's good for every single student. That's good for the whole school. That's good for you as an educator. And I appreciate you asking the question. I really do. Did you have anything you want um, to add I was that? thinking of the work of the why was one, but I, I actually thought of another thing. I think one thing that, that I would really encourage everybody to do is to contact a publisher and say, ask for it, and contact mm-hmm. the library and say, hey, Latina authors, mm-hmm. anyone? African-American authors? And demand it. Mm-hmm. Demand it from your publishers. Demand it from your radio stations. Demand it from your TV. Say, I would like to see more women's stories, more women of color. I, I would like to see this. I'd like to know the resources that are out there. I think we actually can call That's people great. to account for some things yeah. on that kind of stuff. That would, that would be one of the things, but I would actually go to the library. The yeah, library as well like is a good, that. library's free as well, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but to ask them and say, I tend to Google like top 10 black authors or mm-hmm. top 10 for 
teenage fiction and mm-hmm. and then if you see a maybe a, a book which is known like Children of Blood and Bone or mm-hmm. The Hate You Give or whatever those mm-hmm. which were bestseller books then you look at them on Amazon and see the other books that are associated with them and you'll likely find more mm-hmm. in, in places like that so sometimes it's kind of a bit of a rabbit run of looking for things yeah. but I would ask I, yeah. I, I, I actually would contact people and yeah. just say I need some help here. Since you're a national publisher, I anticipate you represent the entire nation. Just a thought. Do you, know, do you see what I mean? And then, but then we're actually reminding those who are making decisions mm-hmm. that this is something yes, that, we all exactly. want, that we all want. Yeah. Because it's not just me who wants it. And you we want get, it too. We get to vote with our dollars. Yeah. And so as we put our consumer dollars to good use, we can very much consider what we're funding. Mm. Thank you Thank for you. that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I'm so thankful for both of your guys' voices. I loved what you're saying about when we're stuck mm-hmm. and how that can be such a something that holds us back from our leadership. And I'm wondering if you could speak specifically to being stuck in loss mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. loss of purpose. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Where mm-hmm. have you encountered that? It's a great question. Mm. Ooh, I think the loss of purpose does bring an element of grief. Sure. That is okay, first of all. I would say it's okay. Grief is medicinal. Uh, you know, like some people say it's a gift. I'm like, mm, mm. it's not one I wanted, actually. Yeah, Thanks. Same. Medicinal. Uh, mm. <laughs> and sometimes that needs some time to do its work. So for a while, I just do things you enjoy again. Like sometimes we lose purpose and we get burnt out. So it takes a while to work out what we enjoy again. And literally you have to ask a friend, what did I do before I lost my life? Yeah. I mean, literally we, right. we do. And then when we're stuck, I would look at the things that begin to make you start feeling alive again. What are the things you get angry about? Mm. What are the things you get excited about? What are the things you have opinions about? But give it time. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if it takes time. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we have felt like we've needed to do, like have that idea so we can go after it. Sometimes you, sometimes purposes are uncovered. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's like I had a dream, I had a purpose, I'm going to go there. Sometimes, I, like, I, I don't even say I'm on plan B, I'm on like plan N Same. now. I mean, I don't even know what happened to what I was planning. Right. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. So I would come back to some interests. I would come back to things that you used to enjoy. I would, if you're a journaling type, I would write down like things I dream of and nothing may come for ages, yeah. but it's almost like you write and write and write until it begins to come. For those of us who are more extroverted and we process with other people, again, trusted friends, trusted friends who've seen what you've done before, seen you at your freest are great places to start Mm. and I would remind you like sometimes we find our purpose even through tragedies unexpected discoveries shall I say it feels stuck but even grieving isn't Mm. stuck grieving is releasing something that was wonderful Mm. or something that was meaningful and something that was cherished and actually some things need a worthy laying to rest And and that's okay that you lay it to rest when we don't grieve and we like, oh, I'm just going to go on and it, then it almost where our part of our story just needs some space of it. Mm. But if you get to a point where you think I've got to do something, then I'd volunteer for I almost I'd pick anything mm-hmm. just to get you moving. Even if you decide, yeah, that was just for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's not a bad thing. But it, it's a start, you know. Yeah. But some of your trusted friends at these times, it's not that they're telling you what to do, but they might be reminding you. It's a great answer. Thank you. So my question's a little bit different because we've been talking about some very big things. Yes. And I'm here with my mops group and we are all moms of (laughs) We're all moms of very little people. Yep. Yeah, man. 
And right now, I'm in the stage of life where I'm, let's face it, I'm barely surviving. Yep. You um, look good in it, though. I'm going to yeah, say that she does. right I now. I showered today. She does. Yeah. You look awesome. She was shopping today. Thank you. Result, sis. Result. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, my question is, though, as we, as women, tackle these big topics yeah. and invite the conversations, as you were saying, about race and about these big things, but still try to raise our tiny mm. humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels like too much. Mm-hmm. It feels like I I can't get my twins out the door in the morning and actually mm-hmm. have them have pants on mm-hmm. and also try mm-hmm. to wrap my brain around mm-hmm. these big things. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, what baby steps can mm. I take right now mm. while my people are little yeah. and while I'm surviving motherhood yeah. mm-hmm. to start teaching them mm-hmm. as white boys mm-hmm. how to embrace this conversation? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. You want to start? I think there are some things that, that in the same way with our kids, we give them milk before we give them that rice thing Mm -hmm. before we give them do you know what I mean I would say the great thing that you and shout out to all the mops in the house get to do is every book that they read can be as diverse as you want it to be that's right you can normalize so many things right now I would say you are in a precious position Mm -hmm. and it's I I mean like you say they're spit up and everything else but (laughs) there are do you know what I mean there are things that you can normalize right now like baby dolls, uh, like baby yes. dolls, toys, yes. all of the music, the yep. whole thing that yep. they Shows. will gr- yep. grow up in a world where they see mm-hmm. certain things already. Yep. And I think for you, for yourself, I, I mean, I could, I couldn't read when my kids were little, just because I don't know where my brain was at mm. that time. It had gone on a very long sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really interested in anything other than Grey's Anatomy <laughs> for quite some time. That was the very season. diverse show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would encourage you to. Yes. Podcasts might be where, you, where you're yeah, at. It's good. And I don't think you need to apologize for that. Hmm. But if you've got baby steps, but we could, rather than saying, oh my gosh, I'm not, read, I'm not running a marathon. When a baby learns to walk, we celebrate the two steps. Mm-hmm. So I celebrate your two steps. That's good. Because that'll give you the strength. For the I next agree. Bit. Thank you for asking. So kind of in... And the opposite wavelength of that last question, I am here and I go to women's events and I I hear about families and I'm probably not the only person in this room who's dealing with infertility. I'm a stepmother of three beautiful kids, but met the youngest when he was four and a half. So there are some women in here who are struggling to find their purpose in life, not getting any baby legs through pants (laughs) and feeling like that's where my worth is not coming from. Mm. And so I loved hearing about your time in foster care and that, I can't remember her name, Auntie Auntie May, who Mm. changed your life for the better. Mm -hmm. And you you have adopted children. Mm -hmm. So those of us who may never have biological children, and a lot of times that's a lonely place to be in the church as well. I just like wait for the pastor to say the word infertility. And he did last week actually for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, wrote him an email but (laughs) so I just want to hear about a woman's place any good authors to read I mean I have a lot and I'm um, in that kind of resting of grief right now yeah and yeah I just Mm kind of want to hear your thoughts on that Mm -hmm. two very wise women 
I want to acknowledge that that is a lonely and sometimes really sad place. You're not alone. I know you know that, but you're not alone at all. It's just that just like so many other things are normalized in our culture. So is married with kids. Yeah. Married with kids mm-hmm. is always centered, especially yeah. in church. Oh gosh, yeah. Married Books with kids everything. is the middle, it's the center of the bullseye. And virtually all the programs and the sermons and the content is developed around that type of family. So I want to just say to you that whatever in that feels, like Joe said earlier, where do I see myself? That Where's my representation in my spiritual and my faith community? That's real. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what a poor job the mm-hmm. church has done making room for every kind of believer whatever they're married or not married if they're a step parent no we've not done a great job of that and so what i just want to say to you and then i'll let joe have the last word here is that regardless of what the narrative is telling you just based on how what kinds of families are prioritized all the time you absolutely have a role to play like you just can't sit it out you don't get to i'm sorry we need you and we need your voice and we need your gifts we need your perspective we need you to help rattle the cages of normalization and say hey we're not all in this center of the bullseye be it the way that our family looks be it sexual orientation be it race single the people who are single are very rarely centered Mm -hmm. in any faith conversation. It's more like, just try to sit there and look nice until you finally bag a man. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, is that kind of what they say? Well, yeah. And so it's, it's good for you to keep like raising it up, raising up the, the red flag. Hey, not all. Not all. And so whatever it is that brings you to life, whatever it is you were made to do on this earth that brings about human flourishing, that serves this world, that brings hope, you've just got to do it. You've got to do it anyway. You've got to do it as you are, where you are, because this is, this is your station and it's good. It's good. You are good. And your contribution to us is so important. Do you want to add? Yeah, I think on a... On a couple of levels, I think on a, I was, just as you were talking, I thought May was every much my mother as the woman who gave birth to me, as a mother who gave birth to me. You and I, I know there are a number of people in the room, but just pretending you and I were here, (laughs) I would say that to you as you mother. You know, in England, we don't have Mother's yeah. Day. We call it Mothering Sunday oh, because of the act of mothering. It counts. And um, yeah. there are many of us who have been mothering. You know, when we first moved to the Twin Cities, there were a number of young adult women who aren't that young anymore. You're over there, I see you. But they mothered my kids with me because I really do do believe it takes a village. So I I want you to know that. Mm -hmm. But when I look back on my childhood, I was raised by mothers. Mm. And every one of them, my my mum, my auntie Bassie, my aunt May, were all my mothers. And then on a faith perspective, I think one of the biggest oversights that we have is that Jesus was single and didn't have kids. Mm. That's, (laughs) That's what it says. He didn't have kids. Jesus was single and and he was complete. And yet we, and we say we follow him and we celebrate his example and how wonderful he is. Well then, do better. Let's do that then. You know, and I I say that because we need the village. 
And the village of us can do that. The That's village good. of us can celebrate that among, in our village, there are women who, who have given birth to a child physically. There are others who have carried a child through foster care or through a blended family. There are women who don't want to have children, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. And that is not like a gasp-worthy situation. That's right. Uh, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Who are happily single or who are divorced or widowed. Right. But each of us have still have that same intrinsic made in the image of God value right. and contribution to make. And if Jesus can be single and change the world hmm. and not have kids and change the world and, so, and we're following in his footsteps like we say we are, then so can we. That's right. That's great. On that note... That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.